Autism now affects 1 in 88 children, in which 1 in 54 boys, and the prevalence figures are growing daily. Autism is the fastest growing serious developmental condition in the United States that costs a family $60,000 a year on average, while the cause receives less than 5% of the research funding of many less prevalent childhood diseases. As to date, there is no medical detection or cure for autism. Help us at the Jayzo Modcast Network change that as April is National Autism Awareness Month. We ask all of you to join us this month in honoring the boys and girls who live with this condition each and every day of their lives, in donating to a charity centered around researching and possibly finding a cure. Any amount is welcomed because chances are you personally know someone directly affected with autism. Let's come together and make a change. Hi, I'm Melissa Ridley-Elms, and I won the 2019 Open Contract Challenge from World of Myth, Jason on Dark Myth Publications. And my book, <laughs> Arthurian Things, a Collection of Poems, was published in January 2020. And so far, it has received some very nice reviews, and a couple of the members of the Science Fiction Poetry Association are considering it for a nomination for an Elgin Award. So, if you're wondering, is this a real contest? It is a real contest. And if you're wondering, um, do I, should I submit? I don't know. Maybe I will. Maybe I won't. Well, do you want to be a published writer? Take a chance. The worst thing that can happen is you don't win. And the best thing that can happen is you do win and you publish your book. Go for it. My name is Walter G. Esselman, and I'm the winner of the 2020 Open Contract Challenge. It's real. My book, Super Horror Max, I took it to a convention this weekend and was selling it. So check it out. Dreams can come true. Hi, my name is Peggy Gerber and I'm the 2021 Open Contract Challenge Grand Prize winner. Because of this competition, I can now proudly call myself the author of the published book, Stumbling in Crazy Town. To learn more about this amazing opportunity, go to www.opencontractchallenge.com and make all your publishing dreams come true. And now, enjoy this free JZO Modcast show. Hey there, this is Ralph Garman, and you are listening to the World of Myth Bits. You made an excellent choice. Welcome to the World of Myth Bits. I am your host, Jenna Sparks, and this is episode 171. again welcome to the world of myth bits it is a 
alarming 81 degrees in Southern California already. And spring has officially sprung and my allergies are through the roof and my eyeballs are as itchy as uh, itchy eyeballs during allergy season. So if my voice is uh, annoyingly gravelly, that is why. Uh, so let's jump in to a few announcements and housekeeping for today. So first of all, to kick us off, Dave has moved rather abruptly, which has caused an unexpected delay in publishing the magazine, as well as posting the podcasts. He is working on getting things back on track as soon as possible. If you have any questions or concerns, please contact Stephanie at Stephanie J. Barty at jzomondarkmyth.com. And also Dave wanted to send out a sincere thanks to the board of directors for holding down the fort <laughs> during this very, very, I imagine, irritating time for him where he has to deal with moving. <laughs> uh, it's not a fun, fun journey, but everything will get back on track and we will commence our regular program shortly. All right, moving on. The open contract challenge is well underway and pitches are pouring in. You have until 11.59 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on April 30th to get them in. So that is a little over a month. Uh, get them in. Also, we want to send out a huge, huge, huge thank you to Dawn DeBrawl for all her amazing work on the newsletter. And welcome aboard Mr. Tim Law as he takes over for her. And MythMart will be hosting a weekly sale starting every Wednesday, so keep an eye on our social media pages to see what is coming up. And also, Dark Myth Publications is now accepting submissions in the sci-fi slash fantasy genre and the horror genre. Once we fill those spots for 2023, other genres will open up. And finally... Zombie Works has another anthology coming out, uh, so be prepared. Details on what we are looking for will be coming soon. I'm very excited. I'm still very sad. I never, I didn't get to part. I didn't get to. I did not actively pursue <laughs> uh, submitting anything for the previous anthology, and I have major regrets. So uh, let that be a lesson to you. All right, guys. <laughs> So, last week, we traveled down the road of the, the final five of the top ten lies you're told as a creative, um, and I really enjoy this format. I think it's a lot of fun, and I think it opens up a lot of discussion, and uh, I, I, again, you know, I, I went off on a whole, whole thing uh, last week about uh, how I think we we constantly need to be mindful, you know, of our of ourselves, and it can get very hard, you know, especially if you're dealing with with anything, any kind of emotional or mental mental turmoil or anything like that, you know. And I think uh, it's always wise to uh, focus on being intro introspective, you know. So, this week, I am going to challenge everything I said in the last two episodes, and I am going to uh, face the top ten truths 
about being a creative. And again, this is a lot of fun because, you know, I'm, I'm essentially debating myself, you know. Uh, and again, I hope I can kind of elicit some kind of inspiration or even your own, you know, challenging of my ideas, of your own ideas, whatever. So I am going to kick this off with our number one. And I think I can get through all of them this episode, but I'm going to kick it off with number one. And this one is my favorite, okay? Because it it is very, very important. Uh, and it is fake it till you make it. So there is a vast difference between confident and arrogant. Uh, but it's a thin line where the two begin bleeding into each other. Confidence is defined as the belief in oneself and one's powers or abilities, while arrogance is defined as the offensive display of superiority or self-importance. Overbearing pride. As creatives, we see the blurriness of that line. Sometimes we surprise ourselves fully and can't help but feel like we're, you know, phenoms for something we weren't sure we'd be able to do in the first place. You get a big head and I don't I don't see anything wrong with that, you know, getting a little bit of inflation in your brain. I think that's healthy. Not a literal inflation in your brain. That is something that you should go to the emergency room for. But <laughs> uh you know, <sighs> When it comes to that, you you do wind up being humbled. And that's where that line is immediately drawn, is that that humbled moment. Um, <laughs> and an arrogant person, I feel they won't they won't acknowledge being humbled. They won't be humbled. You know, they'll continue bleeding on about their self-importance until they're unimaginably difficult to be around. Uh, but confident people, you know, uh, confidence is admittedly not an easy thing to come by. We see creatives all the time who constantly feel the pressure of never being good enough. We ruthlessly compare ourselves to others based on honestly next to nothing. And we set standards so extravagantly high because we don't see ourselves as capable if we fail to achieve those standards. And it hurts. It clings to your insides like glue. And can captivate you until you feel ready to just give up. Because for many, uh, for as many times as we try, it's much harder to challenge ourselves to persevere. And this is where the concept of faking it until you make it comes into play. There is absolutely nothing wrong with admitting your insecurities your quote-unquote weaknesses, your faults, your failures, your struggles, and we have to be able to admit those things to ourselves because they are a huge factor in how we wage inner inner battles and how we deal with them. Uh, But nine times out of ten, the people who are watching you, who see you continually putting your efforts into practice, they're not going to focus on those shortcomings. They're going to see what's at face value, Uh, They're going to appreciate all the little things you did right before they focus on the things you you think you did wrong. 
This isn't the case for every opportunity, don't get me wrong. There will always be critics, and there will always be shortcomings. But if you can combine the act of admitting it to yourself while also applauding yourself for what you are able to achieve, you're soon going to understand that the strength, uh, the strengths are in the foundation. You know, you can fix the mistakes. You can. But that foundation of legitimizing the goodness of your abilities, however, you, ha- you have to take the active steps in convincing yourself. And it's going to be the absolute strongest aspect of your confidence and in a creative field. So when somebody says they like a piece, you don't always have to admit that maybe you made a mistake. You know, oh, I, I uh, you don't see that giant eraser mark that I concealed, you know. Uh, you just say thank you, you know. I worked really hard on it and I'm glad it's appreciated. You're echoing the validation for your own ears so you can understand there is more to your work than just the shortcomings or mistakes that you will know how to work around the next time. So you have to fake it. You have to fake it in order to present yourself to yourself. And I think I think that's how you have to enter most endeavors. If you were a person separate to who you are uh, taking in your work, how would you feel? Probably pretty impressed, right? <laughs> All right. So next up on this gigantic list. <laughs> it's not gigantic, it's 10. You won't know until you try. There are people who will go out of their way to be prepared in all facets of a goal. If you say you want to start drawing, you might decide to go ahead and splurge on hundreds of dollars worth of drawing supplies. Some might even research the best pencils to start using, you know, anticipating with all of these supplies and everything in order. The minute they start, everything will align and their abilities will be proven as successful. Others, though, may just jump into a task. Here's a broken crayon that's half eaten. Why not? (laughs) Let me start with that. Or simply start it with the bare minimum. You know, when it comes to a creative field, there is a happy medium between the two. For those who ultra prepare, they might find themselves at uh, odds. Maybe once they realize how expensive a hobby is to get into, they're dejected and decide not to do it. Or perhaps the fun is in the chase of the craft and not about actually doing it. Maybe once you begin with your load of wondrous tools, Uh, and your skills aren't picture perfect, you feel like you've wasted your time and money and decide it's not for you. And I think we've all been there at some point in our lives. Uh, For other people who dive into a task, they may feel like they're unable to hone their craft because they aren't using the best of the best materials. Maybe they don't know where to start in finding the right things or learning the difference between charcoal or graphite or exploring other venues of media. This is, this is just one level of discouragement we all face in one way or another, feeling inadequate because of the discouragement we all face in one way or another, you know, feeling inadequate because of the tools, whether the tool be our own minds or bodies or tools to invest in, we second guess ourselves in every facet of a craft. You know, can I do this? Will I be good? Do I have the creativity? Do I have the imagination, the dexterity, the time, the focus, the money, the commitment? The answer is always a resounding yes. 
yes, you can do this. Yes, you will be good. Yes, you have the creativity. Yes, you have the imagination, the dexterity, the time, the focus, the money, and the commitment. The problem here is our preconceived notions of what these mean. What do you think creativity is? What is the best utilization of imagination? What time do you have? When can you focus? What's your budget? If you're restricted to weekends or evenings or mornings or even a half-hour lunch, that's time. You don't have to exhaust yourself trying to find your joy in something creative, but you can find the opportunity to do it, even if it's in tiny fragments throughout days or weeks. If you feel your focus is best in the morning or at 1 a.m., use that as your weapon. If your budget is small, who cares? You don't have to spend hundreds of dollars to begin something. You know, unless we're talking about, like, starting an entire, like, screen printing business, but <laughs> that's <laughs> that's a whole other thing. Uh, but if you're, you know, exploring sewing or painting or drawing or writing, you'd be amazed at the fact that you don't need the best tools. You need working ones, you know? Uh, the more you engage with your practice, the more you're going to understand what you need and what you want to work with more. I use Karandash Graphwood pencils because for me, they're simply the best. And though this is not a sponsorship, uh, this is just me telling you what I like to use. Uh, the only reason I found out that they were the best was after using uh, mediocre pencils. You know, they're okay. But uh, guess what I learned? You know, the I learned with those same mediocre basic pencils, you know, that were far less expensive um, and practical for me to hone those skills. (laughs) And I now know that I use, like, the softer graphite more than the harder pencils, so I can allocate my budget for the softer ones. I learned I don't really enjoy using a certain type of surface because I don't like how it buckles. I learned the kind of sharpeners I like. You know, get the absolute basics and go from there because it will tell you what you want to use from there on out. Um, But the actual tools are the only, they're only one piece of the equation. As I said before, it's easy to get discouraged. We do it to ourselves all the time. Sometimes we experience this idea that to challenge ourselves will result in absolute abysmal failure. So it's not even worth trying. And I hate to tell you this, but you're going to face that for the rest of your life, especially in creative fields. Because of all those factors previously mentioned, the money and the tools and the time and the focus, all of that, it plays into these fears. But one thing that I have learned firsthand is that the only way to progress is indeed to accept those challenges. It's an absolute must because I can guarantee you will surprise yourself. And here's the beauty. If you can't achieve the end result on the first or second or third, then you know what? You go for the fourth, the fifth, the sixth. It is time consuming and you do have to devote the energy, but you don't have to do it all at once. Do you remember when I was illustrating Dave's book? 2020? 2021? What year was it? 2021. Oh my god. Uh, The Missing Unicorn in the Land of the Zombie Fairies. Do you know how much time went into practicing what I was drawing first and foremost? Do you know how many 
crappy, horrendous first drafts of trees, of trees. I was, I I just, I have sitting around, I still have them sitting around. (laughs) And here I am, I'm working on another piece where I am utilizing what I learned from drawing flora and trees in another piece, in a new piece. You know, that exasperation and perseverance, it's paying off because it's valuable information that will carry me into my next endeavor. And another after that, and another after that. But it all starts with simply trying. You will, you absolutely will fail at some point. But honestly, who cares? Okay? Start fresh and adjust where you see the faults. We get so in our heads that it can it can feel like an immediate red light when something doesn't initially seem like we've done it to our standards. You know, that we don't stop to register the possibility. If you don't know how to do something, you can figure it out. What we forget is that trying is not a one-stop shop. It is a constant challenge. You are consistently trying, and that's what counts and what will matter in the end, no matter how exhausting, exasperating, or even discouraging it can be. And next up, number three on our list, social media is the best place for visibility. But Jenna, you may be wondering, didn't you say that that was a lie? Why, yes. Yes, indeed, I did. As I covered in the previous list regarding the lies you're told, social media is a cesspool of oversaturation, depression, anxiety, and algorithm-based stresses. But with all the bad also does come the good. For instance, your audience is at your fingertips. You'd be surprised what the right hashtags can do and who will come across your content. Again, as I pointed out in my other rant about social media, my work will fall into Derek Dryman's feed somehow, way, And that's shocking. I've learned the more visibility you crave and want proves to be both psychologically damaging as well as unsatisfying. You do have to follow the basic principles of social media for visibility, you know, hashtags mainly. Uh, Otherwise, your stuff only stands a bare chance at entering the feeds of only your followers. And even then, there's no guarantee it'll be seen. And you do rely on engagement. On Instagram solely, the idea of your post being saved is more impactful than being liked or commented on. And oddly enough, my favorite part... Uh, you have to be mindful that interacting too much can cause a blip in the matrix. Uh, though the platform, uh, the platform's content creators have to interact with comments, you know, as well as liking and commenting on other people's posts to further enhance the visibility structure. It's so stupid. You can actually be punished for interacting too much. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) But beyond that, when you gain a better understanding of how the climate within these platforms work, you can better understand both A, the algorithm is your enemy, and B, it's got nothing to do with your content. If you post something that took you months to complete, 
but you wind up with, you know, 15 likes and a small handful of engagement, uh, including bots telling you to promote your work here or there, which, oh my God, can we, can we get on that, please? It's so annoying. Um, it can feel like it's your work that's causing that, that little amount of engagement. The fact of the matter is that that is not the case. Social media is a business. And I have spent a lot of money on promotions to try and get my stuff out there, and that has barely made a dent. Sometimes you're lucky and Steam is picked up. Maybe you're interacting with enough people in real life to acquire them as followers and fans. But when it comes to strictly social media, you have to realize it's only one fragment of the overall picture of your visibility. That also being said, there is absolute wonder to social media. The most amazing part of that is that you are exposed to so many different people, styles of art, techniques, ideas, concepts, and aesthetics that are there for you to marvel in wonder. It's through social media's accessibility that allows us to engage more in our own education regarding our crafts. You know, for me, I could scroll all day through various artists drawing or painting and wondering how I would be able to utilize what I'm learning from them into my own art. Not only, though, are we acquiring this exposure to various educational purposes, but in general, culture that previously was very privatized and gatekept, it's now widely available. You're not limited to a corporate ploy to recognize Black History Month for 28 days, but actually celebrating Black artists year-round by following them directly and seeing their work regularly. The visibility that has so often been stripped of so many marginalized artists and creators for so long now sees the ownership blatantly and protectively. We can discover the true origins of cultural work from the artists themselves. We can witness and see so many more intense facets that we might have otherwise never engaged in or known where to find. And look, engaging an audience is hard. As covered before, but there are a lot of rewarding and educational aspects to social media, too. You know, recognizing that is wonderful and it's also impactful. And number four on this joyful list. You have to spend money to make money. I know I said before that to start any endeavor, you don't have to spend gargantuan amounts of dollars. But if you are seriously considering going deeper and deeper down the route of monetizing your craft in any way, shape, or form, unfortunately, that's where the line winds up turning bleary. And again, to make note of accessibility and, uh, and ability to be able to do so is an undertaking and a major conversation I've tried to acknowledge throughout this series, you know. It's not always feasible to stake large amounts of money on your craft. For too many people, it's not even a possibility. Investing in yourself is a privilege that is not afforded to all. And as I said before, the investment can be discouraging. Submitting work to galleries or publications that charge for their work uh, of simply opening your email, <laughs> uh, it sucks. And it can super quickly, you know, inflate 
in terms of cost. Conversate or uh, conventions. <laughs> I told you my eyes are all watery. <laughs> conventions, art walks, literary festivals, book cover designers, editors, proofreaders, frames, and so many more expenditures are always costs to be accounted for. But the good news is that while those are important factors, there are plenty of other ways to spend fewer dollars to gain traction. Micropublishing is a phenomenal avenue. And again, that's where social media comes back into play. Curating your own website or joining forums or discussion boards, the internet alone alone, <laughs> alone is a plethora of potential visibility for smaller costs. But the reality is it's still costs. And it's very difficult to make ends meet. In the creative and freelance world, it's overwhelming <laughs> to not only realize the expenditures, but how to price your services. And depending on where you live in the country or country, the world, uh, looking at even minimum wage costs stand a chance at winding up annihilating opportunity. While you absolutely should and deserve to get paid for your work and what you're doing a living, you know, at a living age, living wage, living wage, not everyone sees it that way. In California, where I live, ideally my commissions ought to cost, at the bare minimum, about $750, uh, strictly based on minimum wage. Tattoo artists alone tend to charge in the hundreds per hour for their work deservedly. Uh, but it's amazing how offensive those prices are for audiences. So there lies another aspect for us all. If we're not getting paid what we're worth, then what's the point? Again, it comes to the monetization of ourselves and what society has deemed a product. While art in whatever medium is indeed art, it's still a product. And we're regularly exposed to only the two ends of the spectrum, the starving artist or the famous artist. And constantly advocating for ourselves and our time, it's exhausting in and of itself. If someone doesn't want to pay me for my hours for a product, then clearly the problem, it's not me, it's them. It has little to do with their own budget, but their value in which they are putting on you. And that's a brutal, harsh reality. So how does this apply to spending the money to make money? It's all about your audience. Which leads us to number five. You do have an audience. Uh, brings me to this point. Your audience is your most important attribute to seeking and finding success, whatever your definition of that is. People will rally behind your work, and we see it all the time uh, here at the World of Myth. Amazing writers and artists who all support one another and strive to see each other succeed. Not only here, but in many, many other places and networks. There's absolutely an audience for everyone. Even if you think it's small or ineffective, your audience is there for a reason. They are captivated by what you're sharing with them. In time, your audience it will shrink and it will grow. It'll fluctuate in ways that can be offensive at times, but there will always be people who appreciate your work, and those are the people with whom you can rely on. The unfortunate trick is finding that audience. You never know to whom you'll appeal. 
We can do projects and targets and all projections and targeting and all of that, you know. Uh, but with the wide world of saturation and marketability for so many people, it's not as predictable as we might feel or suspect. Crossing genres is an intelligent way to grow your audience and to challenge yourself. I know most of you already know this, and I realize that this alone isn't adding much to the conversation, but I still wind up surprised to see who my work attracts. But it's also delightful. At one convention, I had a Wednesday Adams piece, and I had put the portrait onto a candle. And a sweet, precious woman bought it because it reminded her of her granddaughter. I'm sorry, but that's, like, the sweetest. Like, that's the sweetest, right? Uh, beyond that wholesomeness and returning to the idea of crossing genres, it's important to understand that your audience is looking for you. Someone out there who possibly doesn't even know it uh, is looking specifically for your work. Because we put so much of ourselves into our work, it can be majorly, majorly isolating. Uh, but we forget all too often that we aren't alone. We aren't nearly as isolated as we believe we are. Creating something that is a part of you will speak to someone else who feels or sees the world like you, or who engages in the world like you, or who wants to. Whether it be through different types of events, categories, markets, whatever the case, there is somewhere for you. But I think we frequently forget that when we're not receiving as much recognition as we might feel we need or even deserve, we assume because our audiences are small or engagement is limited that clearly our work isn't reaching people the way we hoped. But what about the people your work is engaging? The people who are eager to follow up on what you do next. Those are the people who will keep you safe. They will keep, they will, you know, continue to share your work, uh, spread the word, give you praise, or give you a reality check. They might buy your products or they might tell someone about you. Serving your audience, engaging with that audience, no matter how small, is never inconsequential to your work and your goals. So if you're a horror artist, sign up for that com comic convention. If you're a comic artist, sign up for the horror convention. <laughs> you may be surprised to see just who flocks to see your work and become a part of your audience. And you know what, guys? I am going to pause this list right here because the next uh, remnants of the, the list are very, very, very long. <laughs> and um, I kind of want to keep this, this momentum and trajectory moving forward uh and with the magazine and the insuredness of that I am going to leave the remaining half for either next week or the week after depending on like I said when the magazine is released because this is a huge conversation and it's very important and anecdotally 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 um I kind of wanted to tell a quick little story about something that I think it fits into everything I've talked about so far from, you know, the lies to now the, the, the first half of the truths. Um, so I participated in 
an art show. And it's the first one I've participated in in a year. I think the last one I participated in was in, like, October or November of 2020. That was really exciting. But uh, there's something about, you know... Everything, everything I've I've brought forward in this, um, you know, is something I'm very open with discussing about. Like I said, you know, uh, experience and and the realities of it. And again, I, I always want to reiterate, my experience is not everyone's experience, and I'm fully aware of that. Um, but no, when I when I participated in the the last show, it was a lot of fun, and it was in LA and everything. So of course, I was like, yes, I. I feel, you know, I felt, I felt impervious to everything, you know, I was like, yes, this is, this is awesomeness. Um, and then everything just stagnated after that. Um, you know, it felt like, uh, cause that was right after that was when I, you know, again, had my cancer scare and then. Um, I did the the book, started illustrating for Dave's book, and then Scarefare. So it was like I, I didn't have time really to do things for me. And that's fine. You know, I, I'm not blaming or anything like that. It's just I, I was putting my own um, stuff a little bit off to the side, you know, and I've talked about that before too as well. Um, so... Then my friend reached out to me, and she is an amazing person, and I love her to death. And I met her when she first moved up here from L.A. and everything. And, um, you know, we're, we're always kind of just each other's biggest cheerleaders. Um, and she was like, please, 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 you know, I'm, I'm helping out with this this um, art show down at the museum, and I, I want you to participate. So I was like, all right, I, I guess you've talked me into it. So I did, and I put in my Baby Jane piece and my Ophelia from Pan's Labyrinth piece. And it felt a little surreal. You know, It's I was also really not feeling very well mentally when we actually went to the open, the reception. Um, and, you know, it, it so it just, it, I don't know, like it felt very... but my favorite part about it and I think like the reason I'm I'm telling this story you know and it's kind of to hang up on the the audience factor of this list is we took my niece my niece she is She's just one of my favorite people. You know, she's nine years old. She's deaf. And she, I don't know, she's very, she's just, she, she, she sees my work in a way, she sees it from both a 100, you know, just strictly visual, strictly visual, obviously, um, but also from a child's perspective. And children are... (laughs) painfully honest and they have no qualms with making you an adult cry um, <laughs> so anyway so we went to this show and apparently I mean there was amazing art there it was a terrific terrific show um 
And apparently they they had done like this little contest portion. I really didn't know until we were there. And then people started making the announcements. Oh, if you'll all, you know, come to the gallery, we're going to make the announcement, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, okay. So we lined up. And my niece knew almost immediately, you know, because she's been to award ceremonies and stuff at school. So she knew. She saw the the little envelopes and everything going on. <laughs> so they start announcing, you know, uh, the best of categories XYZ. And my niece grabs my hand and she is crossing her fingers with her other hand. And she's, you know, closing her eyes. And she's doing this so, like, blatantly, too, you know, because she she wants me to win. Like, she saw my art on the wall. And, like, can I just pause and say that that, that alone... Hold on, I'll get back to that. So, anyway, she's, 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 you know, crossing her fingers, squeezing her eyes shut, you know, hoping that I'll win... And I, nothing happens, you know, it's, it's other, other amazing artists who walk away with, with, uh, I'm not sure what they won, uh, (laughs) the, the, their envelopes with their names on them. And she was so sad for me, you know, and of course, like I said, I was not very mentally well. And I honestly, it was kind of like one of those, I never expected any, I never expect anything. Um, (laughs) but it was a little, that little, like. You know, just a little, eh, a little bit of salt, a little bit of table salt, and a little tiny wound. You know, but you know, I got home and I was thinking about it, and like when she saw my work on the wall, you know, and she like she, it just it's like I think about it and I know like it's so stupid but it's like it just it genuinely makes me so happy you know how excited she she was to see my stuff on the wall you know amongst you know dozens of other brilliant and amazing artists and it just it was so precious and I think you know you always have to remember that like of course she knows me she she watches me you know, nine times out of ten, when, you know, she wants to do something, you know, I have to tell her I'm working because I am. And um, th- I also try, I do very much try to make time for her. <laughs> you know? But, um, you know, she sees that I am working all the time. So it's it's fun for me to see the payoff in her excitement and her pride in me. You know what I mean? Like, there's that payoff right there. And it's, um, that alone is, to me, very inspiring. And I think everybody has that one person for them. Whether you realize it or not, you have somebody who's your biggest cheerleader. And here's my favorite part of this story. We get home. (laughs) And, um, it's in the evening. And she's, she's sitting on the couch. And she loves to draw. But she likes to draw very, um, like, very silly, you know, like, doodle kind of drawings. Very cute, innocent, nothing. She asked me for a legitimate sketch pad, and I gave her, I have this, um, it's like a little tiny artist's set, you know. And it had, like, a couple 
pencils and like two charcoal pencils and stuff like that. So I gave it to her and bless her heart. She started making the maps like I make them for my drawings. <laughs> so she starts, you know, uh, constructing the faces and the heads and everything. And like, oh, sorry, I just had to boast about that. That just makes me so happy. So, okay. The point is, the point is, on the, the final note of the whole audience aspect, there is somebody like that for everybody. You know, somebody who just, who, who... Uh, unconditionally supports you, you know, and I think we should all marvel at that aspect and recognize how very special it is and how very special being a creative is because, you know, it allows us the chance to move it, you know, pay it forward to the next generation. I don't know. I'm sorry. I'm all, I'm a cheese ball right now. Okay, guys, <laughs> you can find us at www.theworldofmyth.com on Facebook and Twitter at the world of myth bits podcast and the world of myth magazine and on Instagram at the world of myth bits. Um, as far as I know, like I said, I'm not 100% sure when the review episode will come out. Um, but this part two will follow up either. It, it kind of just depends, you know, it kind of just depends. So it'll either be this coming up week or next week, one or the other. Um, so yeah, thank you guys for listening to part one and I very much appreciate your company. And now I'm going to go take some Claritin or something. So <laughs> until next time.